0: You're listening to The Teachings at Ogden Church, a group of real and relevant followers of Jesus. This message, Eyewitnesses to Victory Over Death, was given by Pastor John McGuire on Sunday, April 26, 2015, and it's part five of the Eyewitness series.
1: So uh, yesterday I see a picture of a father whose hands are bloodied from digging in all night long for his kids trapped uh, under a building in Nepal. Like, that's desperation. It is desperation. I need you. I need you now. Um, desperation literally drives us. Um, but the thing that drives us is, um, is actually, um, in our culture, is death. Um, we'll do everything we possibly can do um, to steer away from death to, um, to uh, it's this, it's the fear factor. It is the thing we most are afraid of. It's the thing that we'll dig all night long so that our child might not be under this rubble or that they might be alive or that we will we'll do at all costs. We will seek to do everything we can to, to try to to survive. It's an instinct. It's something that's been placed within us. Today, when we come to the eyewitnesses, we have one, uh, one more eyewitness and he wants to talk to us about what God says about death. Like um, it becomes this, perhaps the greatest of all thoughts about the resurrection of Jesus is what Jesus did to death. Um, in 1952... Some of you may remember that an outbreak of polio broke out in the United States and um, 20,000 people that usually contracted the disease in this particular year, there were 58,000. So much so that the pharmaceutical companies began to do some stepped up research and a man named Jonas Salk came up with a polio cure and they spent time trying to develop this cure. Many of you have the mark from the from the uh, shot that you received once they came up with this cure. By 1988, there were only 350,000 cases of polio in the world. And by 2012, there were only recorded 223 cases. In other words, if you have the cure for polio and can share it, something significant can happen in our lifetime. And we're actually eyewitnesses. Very few cases of polio in 2015 now let's transfer this over into a spiritual dimension imagine that you have the cure for death no no i'm I'm not kidding you you have the cure for death the thing that everyone in this world so desperately and passionately wants to avoid you have the cure What would you do? At what length would you bloody your fingers? At what length would you put at risk all of your finances and all of your time? It is the question. Either you believe in the resurrection or you don't. You're wasting your time this morning if you don't understand that Jesus Christ came and rose to bring victory over death. Like, it, it's the story, it's the purpose, it's the mission, it's the cure. And 70% of, of uh, Williamson County, that's really good, Lenaway County, um, every, uh, nearly, uh, nearly two-thirds of the world's population, nearly every person in Nepal, one of the most unreached people groups in the world. We, having known the cure, have somehow, even as Cliff said, never been to Nepal. All right, we can just go home now, right? Because uh, God's already begun to speak to us. So, Stephen is where we ended up last week. Stephen was uh, one of the first disciples. He was one of the first um, deacons of the church. We don't even know if, G, if if Stephen ever met Jesus. We don't have any record of that. We just know that he was a believer, a follower of Jesus. And he stands up boldly and he proclaims to all the religious leaders that Jesus is the Messiah and gives them evidence of this. And at the end of chapter 7 of Acts, Stephen says, look, I even see him now. The heavens are opened and there he is, he's see, he's standing next to the very throne of God, which makes these religious leaders so mad that they grab a stone and they drag him outside. They cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. Then they cast him out of the city and they stoned him. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. And as they were stoning Stephen, he called out, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. Those words, Lord Jesus, receive my spirit, are the same thing that some Ethiopian Christians cried out on the shores of Libya this very week. Lord Jesus, receive my spirit. This is the very understanding about Jesus. Those of the voice of the martyrs that cry out and uh, the The person wielding the sword listens to those words. And I promise you that every day since then, they've been plagued by the idea that they slit the throat of somebody who cried out, who never backed down, who never gave up, who never gave in to say something that wasn't true in order to prove something that is true. And that is the minute you slit my throat is the minute I see Jesus. And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. This, is, uh, this phrase literally means he was in charge of this. He's the one who took charge. Hey, I'll hang on to your coats. Hey, he kept, he kept roll to see who was helping stone Stephen. This was a significant role. Saul's first big arrival on the scene as this, uh, as this person who would persecute uh, Christians. And falling to his knees, Stephen cries out in a loud voice. And this is a sign. Y'all, this is a sign. Forgiveness is one of the greatest signs that you are a follower of Jesus Christ because you recognize that in the same way you were forgiven, you can forgive anybody anything because Jesus forgave you from all your sin. This is the sign. Stephen says, Lord, don't even let this little act of, of rocks come against them in any way. He's forgiven him from the very moment. And then when he said this, he fell asleep. Now, I want you to understand that this little phrase, he fell asleep, is perhaps one of the greatest kind of phrases you can ever imagine. Like, whatever you were thinking about it, this is the phrase. Because Jesus and the New Testament authors begin to describe something new. Death, which has been taken victory by Jesus, who rose from the dead, now gives a different definition of death. He describes it like this. For instance, when I watch television, I'm laughing now because I turned into my dad sometime ago, all right? I start watching a show and then I'm gone, all right? And then I wake up and I, I kind of look around to see, you know, like how long I've been asleep. I look at my watch. I, I check to see, you know, what, well, how long has it been? It's, I fell asleep. Now, it was just a short nap. Some of you may have gotten five hours sleep last night. Some of you may have gotten 10 hours sleep last night. Some of you wish you got 10 hours sleep last night. Whatever the case, you fell asleep and then you woke up. You didn't realize that passage of time had occurred. That's how this idea of a believer who dies is described. It's a, it really is a mystery. It really is hard to understand how that my mom who died nine years ago will wake up from her sleep the same day that I wake up from my sleep. Even though right now I'm alive. Like that, that, that John, the apostle who died in the first, at the end of the first century, will wake up from his sleep at the same time that I will wake up from my sleep. Like it's hard for me to totally grasp what that feels like, what that looks like. Except that I know this about that very fact. That in the same way that Jesus rose from the dead, we will rise from the dead. And how did Jesus rise from the dead? We've been studying it over the last few weeks. He rose in a bodily form that was touchable. Like, how cool is that? I'm going to get to hug my mom again. I'm not going to hug her spirit or some kind of woo thing. I'm going to hug my mom again. All right? You who have parents who have fallen asleep in Jesus. You're not done. You're only starting. Like, You will literally, in the same kind of way that Jesus ate fish after he rose from the dead. Like this very fact, this resurrection experience, Jesus begins to say, Paul begins to say, is going to happen to you because Jesus rose victorious over death. Someday, you rise victorious over death if you believe. This is huge. Well, these eyewitnesses that we've been studying together, these people who were witness to something, Paul describes in Acts, uh, or, 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 sorry, i got to continue with the story of Saul. Saul so Saul, uh, Saul begins this process of um, being the, the greatest persecutor of the church. Uh, chapter 8 reads like this. Saul was one of the witnesses. He agreed completely with the killing of Stephen. A great wave of persecution began that day, sweeping over the church in Jerusalem. And all the believers except the apostles were scattered throughout the regions of Judea and Samaria. Incidentally, when the believers went to Samaria, a revival broke out. Some devout men came and buried Stephen with great mourning. But Saul was going everywhere to destroy the church. He went from house to house, dragging out both men and women to be thrown into prison. This is the greatest persecutor that the church has ever known. His name is Saul. He started by just keeping the coats and keeping track of who it was. Now he's leading the charge in Jerusalem. But Saul... Verse uh, chapter 9 says, this is several chapters later, several months later, he still was breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord. He went to the high priest and he asked him for letters to the synagogues at Damascus. Damascus was way up the coast, way past the Sea of Galilee, way past Nazareth, way up high. And it was, the, it was kind of this um, New York City, this crossroads of all the highways. And he was concerned that if the synagogues in Damascus started preaching about the way, Jesus the Jesus way, then everybody off everybody toward India and everyone off toward Greece and Turkey, they were all going to hear about Jesus. And so he had to stop it. And so he gets this letter to go to the churches in Damascus to take captive everybody who's preaching the name of Jesus. You have to realize how big of an event this is. This is like Barack Obama becoming a Republican, okay? <laughs> or um, uh, Hitler becoming a Jew. Or Dr. King becoming part of the clan. Like, this is huge. This is the greatest persecutor of the church. This is the guy who's gonna keep everything straight and tell everybody that the way is not really the way. And he's come to the way, and his heart was hardened, and he meets Jesus on this road, and the rest of his life is changed. It's the power of the resurrection. It's that's the same power that you and I have understood to be our own. That we didn't get to see the crucifixion or we didn't get to necessarily touch his hands or his feet. But we have understood this, this truth that Jesus is alive in 2015 and that he's here to make a difference. So Paul then goes and he starts studying everything he had been raised in. It's kind of like you've been studying the manual of a car for years, but you've never seen a car. Like, literally, that's what Paul, it's like for Paul. All of a sudden, it's all making sense. Oh, I get it. I get what a turn signal is. Look. Like, how cool. Like, all of a sudden, everything Paul had been studying under Gamaliel made complete sense because it was always about Jesus. Jesus. And it is all about Jesus. And so he studies and he studies. And then finally, um, he goes and becomes one of the first commissioned missionaries. And he goes around the Greek world starting churches and telling people about the resurrection of Jesus. This former God-hater, Jesus-hater, is now a Jesus-lover and a God-lover. He's the one who writes 1 Corinthians Chapter 15, Corinth was one of these churches that he started. And when he shared with them about the resurrection of Jesus, when he shared with them about Jesus, they gave their life to Jesus and they believed and they started to follow him. So when he's writing this chapter, he just says, I want to remind you, brothers and sisters, about the gospel I preached to you, which you received and now you're standing in, by which you're being saved. If you hold fast to the word I preached to you, unless you believed in vain. He says, I delivered to you, of first importance, what I received. He's just saying, I, I, I want to remind you that I just told you what they first told me. In 33, when Jesus died, they started telling me this story, this creed. The creed was really simple. It was just that Christ died for our sins according With the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day. According to the scripture. And that he appeared to Peter. And then to the twelve. Then he appeared to more than five hundred brothers. At one time. Most of whom are still alive. Though some have fallen asleep. Then that he appeared to James. Then. To all the apostles, this was just a creed. It was this, it was that, that he did this, that he did this, that he did this, that he did this. And they passed this from word to word, this creed, this early creed. And they passed it on and somebody passed it to Paul in the year 36 or 37. And Paul, for the first time, he said, okay, just tell me what's important. And they said, here's what's important, that Christ died for your sins. And that he was buried and that he rose again. And that he appeared to Peter and to the 12 alive. And then he appeared to more more than five hundred people, and many of those people I can give you their address, and you can go talk to them yourself. Then he appeared to James, Jesus' own brother, and then he appeared to all the apostles. This was just good stuff. This was eyewitness testimony. This wasn't just hearsay or some kind of mystery religion that got uh, made up later or some kind. Of, this was eyewitness testimony, and there were lots of eyewitness tes- testimonies. They were first eyewitness to a dead Messiah. We talked about that that first week, that Jesus literally died. He died and he was buried. Not only that, but he, there were, they were eyewitnesses to an empty tomb. They literally had seen an empty tomb. Uh, even hostile witnesses had seen an empty tomb. His body was gone. In fact, he was raised on the third day, according to the scriptures. The scriptures had told that he would, and Jesus had told that he would. He rose again on the third day. And uh, that became, then they became eyewitnesses to a living Lord, literally, a Jesus. There he is. He had died, and now he's alive again. You can touch him. You can eat with him. You can walk with him. He can tell you which side of the boat to fish on. He can, like, he's literally, he's alive again. We saw him. He was dead. He was buried for three days, decoupaged tight, and he broke loose, and the stone rolled away, and he's alive, and we've seen him. And then he appeared to Peter, then to the twelve, after that, he appeared to over 500 brothers and sisters at one time. Like we're just telling you, there were lots of people. It'd be easy if there was just one eyewitness or if Jesus had risen and we never found his body and we never knew where he was. And we just said, he's up there. But he didn't, he didn't just end up up there. He came back to us and he was like touchable and he was alive. This Jesus, the first one to rise from the dead and stay alive eyewitnesses to this Jesus way. They saw what would happen, that people's lives would be changed and that all of these people began to understand that Jesus had a reason that he had come and that this reason needed to be spoken to everybody. So as you read through this creed in 1 Corinthians, uh, you read this part of most of whom are still alive. Paul's giving in AD 55 when they believe 1 Corinthians was written. This is now 22 years after the death of Jesus. 22 years later, Um, They are reclaiming this creed. In other words, for 22 years, it cannot be disproved. There are no solid um, conspiracy theories that are taking hold. There's no other answer than Jesus has risen from the dead. And he wants them to be sure that they knew that. Because what was happening... um, uh, what was happening in Corinth was that they were all good with the Greek philosophy. The Greek philosophy was that your body was one thing and your spirit was another. And once you gave your life to God, your spirit would go on to heaven. But Paul wanted to be really clear with them that, that, that these witnesses saw a risen bodily A live Jesus, not just some ghost spirit or some ghoul spirit. Like this is literally an alive person. And so if he rose from the dead that way, then what was being spoken around Corinth, that there's no such thing as resurrection from the dead. They would go, no, there is. He was dead. He was buried. There were over 500 witnesses, Peter and the apostles, and all these people saw. He's just saying, no, no, you're wrong. If you say there's no resurrection from the dead, you're wrong. He did rise from the dead. Last of all, Paul says, as to one untimely born. This is a really interesting phrase. He's saying, not only that, but he appeared to me. You saw that on the video. That was an actual video. That was like a recreation of the story, okay? Untimely born just means born through hard labor. Anybody have a hard labor? All right, that just means like this was serious. Like this wasn't an easy one because I was the worst Paul's saying, I was, the, I was the persecutor. I dragged people out of their own homes and put them to death. I took them to jail. I was going from town to town. I was the worst. I was a hard labor, Like, I was the hard case. I was the one who can never be repaired. If you're that one today... Who you look at your life and you go, Man, how could God ever forgive me from my past? How could God ever forgive me for what I did or what I said or what has happened to me? You need to understand that He takes people through easy labors and He takes people through hard labors. But He always gives new birth. That's what Jesus does. Last of all, as one to one untimely born or one who had a hard labor or one who was. Premature and so needed extra extra care because they were so messed up at the moment He appeared also to me on the least of the apostles unworthy to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church But by the grace of god, I am what I am and his grace toward me was not in vain Somehow he stepped toward me and i'm going to make sure that him stepping toward me to forgive me from my sins Is not in vain that it's not a waste of his time and I'm going to take every ounce of my energy. I'm going to bloody my fingers to make sure this message gets out. Whether then it was I or they, so we preached and so you believed. That's the story of the eyewitnesses. We could end right now, except that I want you to know that this eyewitness, Paul, has something he wants to be sure that you understand about the resurrection of Jesus. It's why he wrote 1 Corinthians chapter 15. So 1 Corinthians chapter 15 continues on to say this. If Christ is proclaimed... As raised from the dead, how can some of you say there's no resurrection of the dead? He just wanted to say this, like you all are concerned about what happens at death. You know, you're all kind of going with the Greek thought that your spirit just goes away, that your body's done and that there's nothing to, there's nothing about your human um, body that will continue on in the future. He goes, I want you to know that we recognize Jesus. We 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 could tell who he was. He showed us his scars. He showed us his hands. There's something bodily that's going to happen, not just something spirit. Like, I like this because I want to hug my mom again. All right? I like this because he's saying, just like Jesus rose from the dead bodily, you all will have this chance to rise from the dead. Tomorrow I'll do a funeral for Robert Smith. Some of you may remember Robert, who was here for a number of years. And um, he, he um, had muscular dystrophy. And so slowly, day after day, for the last number of years, his body has just begun to, to give out on him. And finally, on uh, Thursday, he, he took his last breath here. Okay, Well, I know that his faith was strong and that he gave his life to Christ. When you give your life to Christ, the Bible is really clear. It says you become absent from the body, you become present with the Lord. And I don't understand fully what that means because it's really hard to kind of describe. So does his spirit, does the breath of God that's in him go to be with God? Yes, I believe that's exactly what that scripture is saying. Well, what happens to his body? Well, tomorrow I'll lay his body, which I will see this afternoon at the funeral home in Hudson. Uh, Tomorrow we'll lay his body to rest in the grave. Well, what happens? What happens to that body? Well, that's what Paul really wanted to say to them, like, the, the answer is, ready for the answer? Jesus. The answer is Jesus. Like, if you want to know what happens to your body when you die, the answer is Jesus. What happened to Jesus' body? If there's no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. So Paul's just saying, this is important that you understand this. If there's no resurrection from the dead, then Jesus never rose from the dead. Right? I just got done telling you, showing you. I spent four weeks showing you evidence That Jesus really did rise from the dead. But if you believe that Jesus didn't rise from the dead, then everything that you potentially could believe about death is a waste of your time. You're wasting your time this morning if this isn't true. That's all he says here. We even found that we're misrepresenting God. In other words, we're being false witnesses if it's not true. If the dead aren't raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ hasn't been raised, your faith is futile, you're still in your sins. Then those who have fallen asleep in Christ have perished. If If in Christ we have hope in this life only, we are people most to be pitied. In other words, if he's just a good teacher that came to teach you how to be good, then you are sorry people. That death really will win. That the standing understanding in most of the world today is when you die, you're done. So live every day like it's your last day. Live like you're dying. If that's all there is, then death wins. Okay, but Jesus did rise from the dead. Okay, you get, like, yes, if that's all true, then you are wasting your time. Except that there are eyewitnesses, there is testimony, there is an understanding in our world today that people have been forgiven from our sins. Like me. I've been forgiven from my sin. I stand as an eyewitness. Many of you today here stand as eyewitnesses that Jesus has changed, radically renovated your life. He has forgiven you from your sin. Jesus is alive. That's what Paul then goes on to state. But in fact, Christ has been raised from the dead. He became the first fruits of of those who fallen asleep. Now, if you were Jewish, you would understand immediately what this meant, because the first fruit offering was when it was harvest time, you'd go to your field, you'd gather up a sheath of wheat, you'd cut it down, and you'd take that that gift as a first fruit, as the first of your gifts that you were going to give as a result of the goodness that God had done to bless your crops. The first fruits meant that this was only the beginning, is only the start. Of those who are going to rise from the dead. Jesus rises from the dead to be the first fruit of those who have fallen asleep. That basically, just like he rose from the dead, you all will rise from the dead if you believe. But each of us in his own order. Whatever your time is, Christ the firstfruits. Then at his coming, those who belong to Christ... Then comes the end when he delivers the kingdom to God the Father after destroying every rule, every authority and power. For he must reign until he has put all enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. Yeah. So what, is the what are we eyewitnesses of? We're eyewitnesses of victory over death. Jesus was first. But now Robert, he's realizing what it is like right now, All right? He's falling asleep in Jesus. The next face he sees is Jesus. The next face mom saw, your wife saw. I was, I was there when she took her last. The next face she saw. No offense, but he's got a prettier face than you. <laughs> Jesus, Jesus' face is prettier because it's her Savior, and you know she wanted to see him. Like, I can point to people all over here who have understood what that means. When you die in Jesus, you don't die, you sleep in Jesus, only to wake to find him. Only to wake to find him in the same way. So, so what's, this, what's this understanding? Well, Paul wanted to be sure that you all understood something really clear. Uh, we're not all going to just like turn into these floating angels or these kind of spirit children or beings. When you die. Like that's only what happens. Your spirit goes to be with God. But someday your body and your spirit. Will once again join together. Would that be an amazing day? Like would that be an incredible day? When all muscular dystrophy is gone. That's the day that Robert realized. That's the understanding of scripture. Now. They describe it as a sleep. Like, is it a short nap? Is it a long nap? John, the apostle, thought it would be a short nap. He's been in, his body has been in the grave a long time, okay? He's a, he died at the end of the first century. A long time his, grave, his body has been in the grave, but someday, the scripture describes, it comes back to life. Well, this is somewhat like they're saying, okay, now wait a second, how does this work? How is this going to work? Will the, so what happens to the body then? That's what uh, 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 15, starting in verse 26, begins to say. 26 to 51. And, and like if you try reading through that, you'll just be like, oh my goodness, I have no idea what he just said. So I'm just going to give you kind of a quick, a quick, a brief explanation. Okay? Here's the explanation. It's like a grain of wheat. Some farmers who are here will understand this. Like, it's a grain of wheat. There's life in that grain of wheat. And when we plant it, we plant it with the idea that we understood because we've already seen a full stock of wheat. And so we plant it in the ground, understanding that something new, not the same grain, not the same stock of wheat that once lived, but yet it will be, it won't come up corn if you plant wheat. All right? Like, it'll be changed... But it, somehow, they still could recognize it was Jesus. Like somehow, they, they knew it was Jesus. It was not like, huh, I wonder who that was. Or It wasn't kind of like, um, huh, wonder how he got his scars, that guy that just came and visited us. They knew it was Jesus. Yet somehow, Jesus walked in a locked room. That's different. How did he do that? Somehow, he was eating with the two guys from the road of, uh, to Emmaus sat down with them, and somehow he uh, was one minute breaking bread with them, and the next minute it said he disappeared. How's this work? I don't know how it works. I just know that they describe it as it's a grain, but it's not the same grain, but it's a new grain, and it will grow up just like grain. Well, I'll let Paul say it. He can say it better. He describes it like this. Y'all get ready, okay? He says it this way. I'm showing you a mystery. I'm going to tell you a mystery. Like I can't. Paul. Paul. Multiple doctorates. Studied the Old Testament. Knew a lot about the things of God. He says it's a mystery. I don't, I don't fully get it, but here's how it's going to happen. Behold, I'm telling you a mystery. We shall not all sleep. Some will sleep. The ones who don't know Jesus, the ones who haven't committed their life to Jesus, they'll sleep. They sleep and they never get to wake up. Can you imagine that? No Prince Charming to come wake you up. Behold, I tell you a mystery. We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment. In the twinkling of an eye at the last trumpet. Understand that when, the, when in Roman culture, when the trumpet sounded... That meant that the Caesar was walking in. The victor was coming into your town. And he would be on this high raised platform. And you would look at him in the clouds as he came rolling into your city. And you would would acknowledge him as Caesar because you would hear the trumpet. Because the victor, after he had come back from conquering, would come back to the city. And he would roll through the city. And everybody would bow down before him. For the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised imperishable. That just means you'll never break down again. And we shall be changed. What? No more colds? No. No more colds. What? No more death? No. No more death. What? No more crying or pain? Yes, the old way will be gone. For this perishable body must put on the imperishable. And this mortal body must put on immortality. When this perishable puts on the imperishable and this mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. Oh, what Old Testament passage is that? It's not an Old Testament passage. It's the Greek thought of the time. The Greek thought of the time is nothing can beat death. Oh, got him. He got him. Death got him. Like there is nothing. There's nothing. There ain't nothing. That can conquer death. Yes there is. There used to be no cure for polio. Like there ain't nothing. That can conquer death. Yes there is. His name. Is Jesus. Death is swallowed up in victory. Oh death where is your victory? Oh death where is your sting? The sting of death is sin. And the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God. Who gives us the victory. Through our Lord Jesus Christ. Okay, so either this is the best possible good news message of all time, that there's a cure for death, which everybody in the world is plagued by, or it's not true. That's your only choices. And if it's true, what stops you from giving your life over to Jesus? Jesus himself said, God loved the world, you, so much that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have eternal life. God did not send his son into the world to condemn you, but in order that the world might be saved through you. This is all it's saying. It's saying death has been a conqueror for all of time. So God takes his only son, Jesus, puts him on a cross to pay for your sin and for my sin. And and becomes the sacrifice for that, the payment for the guilt that I have, that you have. And then sends him to the tomb to which he rises from the tomb, demonstrating that because he rose from the dead, someday you too can rise from the dead. I'm going to ask the praise band to come, and I'm also going to close with a word of prayer. With your heads bowed and your eyes closed, I'm going to get a little Baptist on you, okay? All that means is that I'm going to tell you that this is the most important decision you can ever make in your life. That this good news was so important that God sent His one and His only Son to rescue you from your sin. He himself said. I'm the way. The truth. The life. No one gets to the father. Except by me. That Jesus literally wants to be your Lord. Wants to be your master. Wants to give you victory over death. This is an incredible message. It's a message that sometimes is hidden. In all the clutter of our lives. But it is Death that we fear, and it is life that Jesus came to give. Eternal life, he called it. Life that never ends. Life that causes those who believe in him to only sleep in Jesus until the trumpet of the Lord sounds. The dead get raised first, and then the ones who are alive and remain walking around meet the Lord in the air. I want to ask you this question. How many of you would say, by raising your hand, I have never made that decision. If I were to die today, I don 't know for sure that I would go to heaven. Would you just raise your hand up so that I can see it? Is there anyone here? I see that hand. I see that hand. I see that hand. I see, that hand. I see, that hand. I see that hand? I see that hand? See that hand? Praise God. I want to be really clear with you. The Bible says that you can know that you have eternal life. The Bible says these things I wrote the things in the Bible I wrote so that you can know you have eternal life. I want to be sure that I have an opportunity to share with you from Scripture how you can know you have eternal life. We have people who would love to share with you how you can know you have eternal life, how you can go home, you can leave this place today, knowing that if something happened to you, that you would have eternal life with God. Um, I'm excited for those of you who raise your hand. I'm excited because I really would love to have the opportunity for you to to know those things. I'm asking that you'll come up and talk to me after the service. Um, I'll give you a couple of things. I have an actual booklet you can take with you that can even explain it further in case some of what I've explained today doesn't uh, make sense to you. All right, I have that. And if you didn't raise your hand, but you still would like that information, I have that for you too, okay? Now, the second part of this question is for those of you who knew. Imagine if you were Jonas Salk and you figured out a cure for polio, and then you just decided that you would just hang on to it in case you get polio. So you'll have the cure. In fact, they said early on that there was so little of the disease available for them to do testing on that it started to become really scarce. They first had to grow polio, and then they had to figure out how to treat it. Like it was just I say that just to this, to say this to you, believers, man, some of you need to hear the call of God for you to be missionaries, for you to take this good news to people who have never heard this good news before. I believe that God is calling some of you to be missionaries around the world, maybe even Nepal. I also believe that many of us in while believing that we have been cured from our sin, stay silent about it. And I want to encourage you who know to function at all costs till your fingers are bloody. You are the new eyewitnesses. There is no more apostles. There is no more disciples who walked next to Jesus. It's now you. It's up to you. It's up to me. And, um, finally, um, to take it away from being so Baptist, I don't want you to leave under any form of guilt, only under the form of a charge. The form of a charge is just this. Go make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe everything I've commanded you, and, lo, I'm with you always, even to the ends of the earth. It's up to you to go do this. So do it. If you don't know what to say, Just simply say, there ain't no grave gonna hold me down.
0: If you come from a very conservative background like I did, this is gonna be really difficult for you. There is no better time for you to stand, clap, and even dance. Because this is big. This is the big one right here. Say, there ain't no grave, yeah. I'm gonna hold this body down. Say, there ain't no grave. Yeah. gonna hold this body down. Now, when I hear that trumpet sound, yeah, I'm gonna get up out of the ground, cause there ain't no grave. Gonna hold this body down. I said, Go down yonder, Gabriel. Place your foot on the land and sea. But don't you blow that trumpet until you hear from me. Cause there ain't no grave. Oh, I'm gonna hold this body down. You think I see? I saw. Carry me out to the graveyard Just like Like my grandma grandma. And like my grandpa And they'll lay this body down But don't cry for me And don't cry for me Cause on that resurrection morning Hold his body down.
1: Okay, so how's it, so it going to work? Here's what I understand. Um, Jeannie's dad was um, cremated, and so, like, um, we have some of his ashes, and her other brothers and sisters have some of his ashes. Some are getting spread over Lake Michigan. And, like, you start getting there, and you're like, oh, that's kind of creepy. Except that he's a believer, and that when the trumpet sounds, all of those pieces of ash, like, this is the coolest thing on earth. Like, they're going to come back together, and we're going to get to see Grandpa again. You know, we're going to get to see him again. Like, that's how it works. Somebody came up to me after the first service, so is okay that I'm a uh, donor? And I'm like, yeah. <laughs> like, that's cool. Like, yes, it'll come from there, and he'll get the one he had, and I don't know how it works. Like, all I know, all I know is that at some point, the, the breath that God breathed in Adam at the very beginning joins with the body that he breathed in at the very beginning And you have eternal life. And while I don't understand it completely, I just know that it's uh, what Jesus said and everything he's ever said is true. Um, So, we're left with this option about the disciples. Here's a list of them. James and Peter and Andrew and Thomas and Philip and Matthew. Either these guys are liars, okay? Either this is like the biggest lie and... But each one of these guys went to their death being tortured for the lie, and not one of them confessed to something other than what they had seen, which was Jesus risen from the dead alive. All right? So either they're liars, and if so, then you're all... um, It's cool that we're hanging out together on Sunday mornings. But, okay. (laughs) Second, the second thing is, is just simply that either they're all delusional or they were crazy which it's hard to get that many crazy people uh, to have the same story, okay? Or it's true, okay? It's true, y'all. It's true. Uh, What they said was true. Christ did rise from the grave, and he is who he said he was. And he does have the power to forgive you from your sin and make you acceptable to the Father and to give you eternal life. This is the good news. The good news is what we sometimes refer to as the gospel. It's the message y'all are supposed to be, I'm supposed to be, telling everybody else. There's a cure. There's a cure for death because Jesus had victory over death. Let me pray. Jesus, thanks for bringing us together. We do believe there ain't no grave that will hold our body down when your trumpet sounds. We're looking forward to the day that we all get to join together with those who have gone on before us. Lord, we're excited about the day when we'll be able to walk up. I'm excited to see my mom again, to meet my grandma, who I've I've never met, and uh, to uh, meet John and Paul and some of the other apostles. But I'm really excited uh, to meet you, Jesus, and to uh, just thank you and uh, experience uh, what full love really means. Uh, thank you, God, for bringing us together. Thank you for this reminder. May we be the eyewitnesses now to carry on in this culture, in this place you've placed us. Uh, May we be the ones who uh, tell others the good news. Uh, we pray these things in the strong name of Jesus. I want to just say, if you raise your hand and would like to, to talk a little bit further, please just come forward and um, we'll, I'll I'll hook you up with somebody who can talk with you or I'll talk with you myself. All right, in Jesus' name, amen.
0: Thanks for listening. If you'd like more information about Ogden Church, feel free to visit our website at www.octonchurch.org.